This is the voice of America's Sonny Young. Thanks for tuning in this evening. Welcome to another expanded 30-minute edition of the Sunny Side of Sports. Stand up! Stand up! Stand up! Stand up! Friends, we can all listen to the Sunny Side of Sports. Yes, my friend. The Sunny Side of Sports. Sunny Side of Sports. The Sunny Side of Sports show. Great show, bro. This is Sunny Side of Sports. Sunny Side of Sports right here on The Voice of America. Voice of America! And brags indeedy of a muscular punch that's incredibly speedy. The fistic world was dull and weary. With a champ like Liston, things had to be dreary. <laughs> then someone with color, someone with dash, brought fight fans a running with cash. Show me the money. <laughs> this brash young boxer is something to see, and the heavyweight championship is his destiny. Former world heavyweight boxing champion Muhammad Ali is one of the world's most recognized and inspirational sports personalities. In this special edition of the Sunny Side of Sports, we focus on his memorable life and gain insights from his longtime trainer, Angelo Dundee, who died February 1st, 2012, at age 90. Our opening bell rings now with this Ali profile by VOA's Ted Landfair. I am the greatest! The signature boast of the son of a Kentucky sign painter who took up boxing after neighborhood bullies stole his bicycle. Born Cassius Marcellus Clay, Jr., he was soon known as the Louisville Lip for his taunts and homespun poems in an amateur fighting career topped by a light heavyweight gold medal at the 1960 Summer Olympics in Rome. Clay shocked the boxing world by winning his first 19 professional fights and knocking out Sonny Liston for the World Heavyweight Championship in 1964. You're an old, ugly bear, Clay said to Liston's face. To describe himself, he offered a verse. This brash young boxer is something to see, and the heavyweight championship is his destiny. This kid fights great. He's got speed and endurance. But if you sign to fight him, increase your insurance. A year before the Liston fight, Cassius Clay had joined the Nation of Islam, known as the Black Muslims. And afterward, he announced he had changed his name to Muhammad Ali. I had been a Negro. I had no confidence, was all he would say on the subject. But he brimmed with self-assurance now. Using a duck-and-weave style that he called his float-like-a-butterfly, sting-like-a-bee technique, he was graceful yet ferocious in the ring. Outside it, he kept crowds and reporters laughing. Before his 1975 title fight with Joe Frazier in the Philippines, Ali pulled a toy gorilla out of his pocket. It will be a killer and a thriller and a killer when I get the gorilla in Manila. <laughs> 1974, a year before the Thrilla in Manila bout, fans in Zaire had followed his every move surrounding what came to be called the Rumble in the Jungle with George Foreman. Even today I meet people and they bring up the Ali fight 
and they still think the fight is going on. They need to be on my side or Ali. They don't know the fight was almost 30 years ago. It just it doesn't exist anymore, but you learn great lessons from those defeats. You learn that uh, it's just a day in your life. It shouldn't be taken over, it shouldn't consume you, and uh, it's just a moment, and enjoy every moment. Bumaye, the crowd shouted, kill him, Ali. Brutal words for perhaps the world's most famous pacifist, who in 1967 refused U.S. military service despite the threat of five years in prison and a hefty fine. He said at the time, My conscience won't let me go shoot my brother or some darker people or some poor hungry people in the mud for big powerful America and shoot them for what? They never call me nigger. On college campuses nationwide, Ali spoke out against the Vietnam War while his case was appealed and ultimately the U.S. Supreme Court reversed his draft evasion conviction. Muhammad Ali won 56 of 61 professional fights. In his last two bouts, in 1980 and 1981, he was already showing the debilitating effects of Parkinson's disease, the brain disorder that affects muscle control. In one of his last television interviews in 1985... I don't know why I'm the most known American on earth. The shuffle and slurred speech brought on by the baffling disease were evident. John Walter, an adjunct professor of ethnic studies at the University of Washington, calls Ali the quintessential American, generous and caring, provocative, courageous physically and in his convictions, and boastful, but backing up his crowing with incredible deeds. Professor Walter says Ali's influence has reached the world's humblest hamlets. Down in Australia among the Aborigines, these people saw him. They took an example from how he conducted his life that he's willing to stand up for their rights, so to speak, and to excel at the same time. You will find many, many examples of people who say, I owe what I'm doing to this man. That, to me, is profound. Other words of admiration tumbled upon each other at the dedication of the $80 million Muhammad Ali Center in Ali's hometown of Louisville. Former President Bill Clinton said Ali, who in 1990 negotiated the release of 15 U.S. hostages in direct negotiations with Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein, was a force for peace. You proved once again that the power of example matters a lot more than the example of power. Just be a beautiful fight. Ooh, I'll be dancing, I'll be so pretty. Muhammad Ali once said of himself, he talks a lot and boasts indeed of a power punch and blinding speed. And he asked, how could anyone not see American in the following? I am the greatest. A Ted Lanfair. Thanks, Ted. The great fighter was honored in 2005 when the Muhammad Ali Center opened in his birthplace of Louisville, Kentucky. Reporter Rick Howlett in Louisville tells us more about the center. It was boxing that made Muhammad Ali, born Cassius Clay, one of the world's most recognized figures. There's plenty of boxing memorabilia in the Ali Center, but everyone associated with it is quick to say that it's not a shrine to the sport or to the man. Muhammad Ali has battled Parkinson's disease for more than two decades and therefore rarely speaks in public. Lonnie Ali, his wife, is his caretaker and his spokesperson. We realized if we were going to pursue this seriously, that it had to be something that spoke to the man 
in whole, that it would have to be something that contributed to society, to others. It couldn't be just about Muhammad, because we never wanted that. We didn't want anything to idolize Muhammad. So what? I mean, what does that do for anybody? Nothing. In addition to the exhibit celebrating Muhammad Ali's boxing career and the various significant events in his life, there are six pavilions. Center President Michael Fox explains that each represents what Ali calls his core values, respect, confidence, conviction, dedication, giving, and spirituality. That's the foundation of this institution. There is not another institution on the face of this earth that has that as its underpinning. That is what all of our programming hereafter will evolve from these six values. The opening of the Muhammad Ali Center was marked with a series of events, including a celebrity gala and fundraiser attended by notables from the worlds of sports, entertainment, and politics. The world is a better place because of you. Former U.S. President Bill Clinton was among those who recognized Ali's achievements. You thrill us as a fighter and you inspire us even more as a force for peace and reconciliation, understanding and respect. And now you've got this center which will enshrine both your thrills and your inspiration and inspire others to follow your lead. Visitors to the Muhammad Ali Center will see and hear details related to two major events in Ali's life that at the time drew scorn from much of the American public. One was his conversion to Islam in 1964, which prompted his name change. The other came two years later when he refused on religious grounds to be drafted into military service for the Vietnam War. As the legal battle that resulted from his draft resistance made its way through the courts, Ali would be barred from boxing professionally for three years until the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in his favor. Longtime boxing promoter Bob Arum points out that Ali's refusal to join the service predated the American anti-war movement. People don't remember that the war in Vietnam was not an unpopular war when it started. It became horribly unpopular. He was considered to be a traitor to his country. And he had the courage to stand up to everybody, friends and foe, and to say that what he was doing was the right thing. It was that event that raised Ali's profile from a pugilist to a peace advocate, according to his friend, musician James Taylor. He really woke us up. You know, we helped America wake up by associating with his process, really. We, we came to know uh, so much more about ourselves and about, about injustice, about just because of the magnetism of his, uh, his personality and, and his uh, persona. He captured us all, and, and we, we felt what he felt. You know, he was a, an amazing communicator of his personal experience to so many people. He, he's an astounding character in our cultural history and on the world stage. As one of the most colorful sports figures in the 1960s and 70s, Muhammad Ali inspired young people around the world. That part of his legacy is showcased in a large mosaic wall made up of 5,000 small wood tiles. Children from 144 nations created the images, reflecting their hopes and dreams. In addition to the many exhibits in the center's 8,600 square meter interior, there are classrooms for community outreach programs. 
These include a conflict resolution curriculum for children created with the help of the United Nations and a variety of self-improvement courses for all ages. The Ali Center's president, Michael Fox, says that like the great athlete at Honors, the new facility puts great emphasis on the power of personal development. We encourage and will work with our visitor public and our participants in our programming to have them think much more about their personal values, much more about their personal development. We often say the Muhammad Ali Center is about Ali and it's about me, all of us, individually. I'm Rick Howlett in Louisville, Kentucky. Thanks, Rick. We'll hear from Muhammad Ali's longtime trainer, the late Angelo Dundee. But first, let's take a break for these Voice of America programming announcements. If you were to talk to us from the deepest, better part of the bottom of your heart. Hello, I am Shaka Sali, the host of Straight Talk Africa from The Voice of America. Each Wednesday night, I will put you in touch with newsmakers and experts as they, you and I, talk about the most important social and political issues in Africa. Shaka Sali saying, I'll be waiting for your call Wednesday night on Straight Talk Africa from The Voice of America. This is the voice of America. Washington, D.C. Hello, everybody. From that very first broadcast during World War II and ever since, the voice of America has been the voice of freedom. So on behalf of the American people, and the millions around the world who draw hope and strength from your work. Thank you all for being the proud and steady Voice of America. Voice of America! VOA Sunny Young in Washington, and you're listening to a special edition of the Sunny Side of Sports on the life and legacy of former world heavyweight boxing champion Muhammad Ali. The late Hall of Fame trainer Angelo Dundee was in the corner for Ali's greatest fights. Angelo was also a good friend of the Sunny Side of Sports, delighting our Voice of America listeners for more than a decade with his colorful and often funny commentary about Ali in particular and pro boxing in general. One of Ali's greatest victories took place on October 30, 1974 in Kinshasa, the capital of the Democratic Republic of Congo, then known as Zaire. His eighth-round knockout of then-heavyweight champion George Foreman became known as the Rumble in the Jungle. 
Let's listen in now to a phone call I made to Angelo Dundee in Florida to ask him about the epic heavyweight contest. Hello. Hey, Angelo. Yeah. This is Sonny Young from Voice of America. Yeah. How you doing? All right. Angelo, reflect a little bit. What are your main memories of that fight in the former Zaire? You know, it was such an event. You know, you get there and we're the good guys. You know, right there at Ali Boumaye. And uh, we were, he was like a hero there. And the Zaire people are so goddamn nice. It's a shame, you know, the country's having their problems. And everybody I met there was so congenial and nice. And I, the fun part of it was a guy named Chimpupu Chimpupu Wa Chimpupa. He was the PR guy. Okay. And he'd make us go. See, we were outside of Kinshasa. We were like 45 minutes away in the government complex called Nacelli. That's where they entertain all the African nations. And we all had villas facing the Congo River. And God forbid we said Congo River. It was going to get called the Zaire River. And we used to look forward to going to the gym every day. In fact, uh, on my off duties, I used to train uh, lizards. (laughs) (laughs) It made a good hit with the newspaper guys. When they came, it was a rainy day. We didn't go to the gym. And these lizards, these big lizards, we we walking across like the banisters. Right. And I said, wait a minute, let me tell you what I did. And I said, see that lizard? I trained that sucker. Now watch, <laughs> he's going to go five steps and do push-ups. <laughs> you know, you, you no matter where you go, you got to have a sense of humor. Angelo, did Foreman train close to Muhammad, or were oh, they? He trained right across the way from us. And we used to spy on them. <laughs> I used to borrow Howard Bingham's telescopic lens and watch them from behind the, you know, the, the, the hiding spots. We're like little kids, you know, because you don't see nothing in the gym. There's nothing to check, you know. But we had fun. So this is the whole key, you know. People don't realize to excel at what you do, you got to have fun with it. And we always had fun with Muhammad every day. 19 years I had fun, you know, so what the hell? This is what it's all about. Angelo, was the weather a factor in that fight, the heat in the former well, Zaire? you got to remember, we trained in Florida, Miami. Muhammad loves the heat. In fact, to this day, Muhammad calls me, he threatens me, he's going to come down and sweat. <laughs> I says, please do. <laughs> do you think the heat bothered Big George more than it did Muhammad? Well, no. I just think it was meant to be, you know, this is what happens in boxing. Isn't that a horrible career to have, you know, if somebody out there can lick you? Isn't that tough? I mean, you're a great fighter, and there's somebody out there who might do a number on you. The only guy that didn't taste that was Rocky Marciano, God bless him, because he retired undefeated. And another, another kid from Thailand retired undefeated. Angelo, uh, looking back on the rumble in the jungle, would that fight have happened without the electric-haired man, Don King? No. No, he was in the right place at the right time. Had the connections, the complexions to give us the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Muhammad used to say about me. Angelo got the connections and the directions to give me the right direction. That's right. So <laughs> we applied it the other way. No, no, it, it was meant to be. Don King's a hell of a promoter. He went there, and they wanted to name their country a new name, you know, get rid of that Belgian-Congo thing, and then name their country Zaire. And Mobutu's a very, very, you know, that Zaire's a big country. I think it's bigger than the United States. Yeah, big. And this guy ran it. It was a remarkable guy.
is the goal of provinces by helicopter. He was a hell of a man. Angela, where does the rumble in the jungle rate in the uh, Muhammad Ali legacy? Well, it's got to be one of the greatest happenings, a name-changing of a name government. Well, Muhammad, you know, it was a happening any place we ever went. You know, I get letters kind of weak, maybe, you know, letting us want pictures and stuff like that. It's remarkable, you know, because here I was with a guy who was a living legend. And in his career now, I'm his fistic voice because the guy can't talk. And I know it breaks his heart. He loved to talk. He loved it because he loved talking to the media. He enjoyed that. And I pride myself with that. I pushed him towards that because if you want to be a superstar, these guys will make you a superstar. And, you know, that's why he was so great with the media. He was the first superstar that did that. Never happened before. That's Hall of Fame boxing trainer Angelo Dundee, who died on February 1st, 2012. The rumble in the jungle was also remembered in song. American singer Don Covey released this tune in 1975, titled, appropriately enough, Rumble in the Jungle.
That's American singer Don Covey with his song Rumble in the Jungle.